0: And to Romans 1, beginning in verse 8, let us hear the word of our God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. As we begin here today, I want us to to think of those times where we met someone that we hadn't met before, but we find out that they are a Christian. And on many of these occasions, there's kind of an instant connection. And maybe we've experienced this when we've been on a trip somewhere, or maybe we visited another church, or... um, if you go away to college or something, you know, there's, there's an instant connection when we meet other believers. And in a sense, this is what Paul is doing here. He had not met these people in Rome, or certainly most of them he had not met. And yet there's this instant connection, there is this care and love that Paul has for the people in Rome, for the believers there. And so as uh, we have seen thus far, Paul has given us this opening greeting in verses 1 to 7. And uh, he starts first by giving us some of his identity as a slave of Christ and an apostle. And then he spoke of Christ's identity as the God-man in verses 3 and 4. And then last time we saw of him speaking of our identity as Christians in verse 7. He says that we are loved by God, chosen to be saved. We are also called by the Spirit, where he changes our hearts so that we can respond in faith and repentance. And then we are set apart, holy, saints, righteous, due to Christ's atoning work for us. And so this is part of who we are as Christians. Well, he ends his opening introduction with his characteristic benediction praying that God the Father and the Son would bless uh, with grace and with peace. Well, Paul now follows his typical pattern in his other letters, where he then proceeds to thank God for something, and in particular, the recipients of his letter and how God has been working in them. Now, this too, like the opening section, is something that we see in first century letters. It is common to find a thanksgiving of some kind at the beginning of a letter, but usually it's thanking the gods or thanking the king or the leader or something uh, to that effect. They also tended to focus on health and well wishes. Well, like with the introduction, here now with the thanksgiving, Paul Christianizes it and he gives a proper focus here. Now, we're also going to see that Paul is going to speak of how he wants to come to see the Romans. And we we'll are going to see some of that today. We'll see more of it, Lord willing, next time. And then he ends this introduction of verses 16 and 17 with what is obviously the theme two verses of the whole letter. As you read Paul's letters, you can usually point to a verse or two that say, this is the main idea of the letter. Well, here, this is as plain as day in these last two verses. So we'll look at those. Uh, here in a couple weeks or something. All right, now, in uh, verse 8 then, he begins and says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. All right, he says first, but there's no second or next. (laughs) And so we probably should understand it simply to say, my first point is this, and then he's going to say it differently as he goes along. And he says here then that I thank my God for you all. Now, as I've said already in the first section, there were likely dozens, if not hundreds of believers in Rome by this time, likely in multiple house churches. And Paul is saying, I'm thanking God for all of you. But he also is talking to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so Paul is thankful for all of them. He's very intentional uh, And speaking in this way. And so Paul, in his prayers then, is thanking God for saving the believers in Rome. Now remember, as I've mentioned, as far as we know, no apostle had come to Rome. Obviously, Paul had not been there yet, and we don't believe that Peter came there until later, even after Paul came, though the Catholic Church, of course, would say differently. But as far as we know, there's no apostle that came, and yet God had planted the church in Rome. God uses his people, but he can not use his people. He can work uh, above us and outside of us, and that seems to be what happened in Rome. God planted the church through everyday people, you might say, and Paul is thanking God. For this, Paul doesn't feel slighted or anything like that. Hey, God is planning his church, so he's thanking God for these things. Now, now notice some of these phrases that he has in the middle of the verse here. First of all, notice, Through Jesus Christ. Paul is thanking God through Jesus Christ. Now, this has two ideas. First of all, we thank God through Jesus Christ because it's due to Christ's life, death, and resurrection that we can actually come to God in prayer. We can actually bring our thanksgivings to God. And so as we think of the temple, of course, and even some of the uh, things we sung about a little bit ago, and even as stand, led us in prayer, right, we can come into the presence of God Because Jesus has turned aside God's wrath. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. And we can come through the veil into the presence of God. And this is truly amazing. I know for myself, and it's probably true for, for all of us, that sometimes we take that for granted. But we can come to God through Jesus Christ and pray to him. Now, secondly, this has the idea of Christ as our mediator, not just in this sense, but even interceding for us when we pray. When we pray, our prayers are rather messy, rather smelly, and that's why in the Old Testament that prayers had to be mingled with incense. Christ is that incense that makes our prayers perfect, and he brings those prayers then perfected by him to God the Father, Okay. Angels don't do this. Saints don't do this. We don't pray to the angels or the saints who then take our prayers to God. No, we pray to Christ and through Christ who brings our prayers to the Father. And so he takes, in this case, the thanksgivings of Paul to the Father. And Paul is making mention of it here in this way. And so when we are praying, let's consciously remember this. Okay? Let us remember that we can come through Christ's work and we are coming through Christ. He is the one taking our prayers to the Father. What an encouragement this is. As great as Gabriel is, as great as one of the saints who's gone on before us, like Paul, I'm glad I'm not praying to them. I'm praying through Jesus Christ to the Father. What an encouragement. All right, now, He ends the verse here by saying that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now in saying this, Paul is, in a sense, focusing on their faith, but ultimately he's not focusing on their faith. He's not praising them. In the end, he's praising God. Their faith is so strong and, again, no apostle planted the church, we believe. And, and due to all this, the word of their faith and their belief has spread throughout the Roman world. God had planted multiple churches in the capital city, in this evil, wicked place like our own capital city in our state and in our, our country. So with the gospel spreading in and around Jerusalem and Judea, even to Samaria, as we read about in John 4, That's amazing, that's praiseworthy, but in some ways it was expected. But the gospel going to Rome? Now that's truly amazing. And so this then certainly was an encouragement to other people. It was an encouragement that God is working. Now on the other hand, it's not all that surprising. Jesus himself said that the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And all roads of course led to Rome The actual roads you walk on and the roads through the waters, they all ended in Rome in one way or another at that time. And so the gospel came there. And everybody's hearing about it. And so Paul is thanking God for it. All right, let me end here with this thought in this verse. What are we known for? Now, it's very common in our culture to be known for being whatever our job is, right? Or maybe we're a mechanic, or maybe we're a teacher, or maybe we're a pastor, or maybe we're a secretary, or whatever it is. And that's what we're known for. When you introduce yourself to somebody new, you know, it's often, hey, what do you do? And so forth, that's fine. But in the end, we should be known most for being men and women of faith. That aspect of who we are should spread far and wide that we are trusting in God by God's grace. And so these believers in Rome are known for their faith. Are we known for our faith? Well, let's look then at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul here is continuing his thought of prayer, obviously, and notice he's emphasizing the point. And he says, God is my witness. Now, I mean, this is kind of obvious, right? When we pray, probably most of our prayers, maybe even a huge majority of our prayers, are not heard by anybody except for God. We pray within ourselves as we pray to God. Maybe we're alone when we pray and nobody else hears us. And so here is Paul saying, hey, God is my witness. I've been praying for you. Maybe others haven't heard it, but I've been praying for you. And then he says, I am thanking God and praying for you all the time. Note the language here unceasingly or without ceasing. Note also the word always. Now, some of you may have that part of the verse in verse 10, and I'll return to that here in just a moment. But note how he's doing it all the time. Also, the part where it says, I make mention of you, okay, that mention of you actually precedes the verb, so it gives it a bit of an emphasis. And then the verb itself is, I am making. It's a continuous action. It's like Paul's stumbling over himself to emphasize how much he is praying for the Romans. Now, surely this would have been encouragement to them when they got this letter, to hear that the Apostle Paul is praying for them all the time. How many times have we had someone tell us, hey, I've been praying for you. Okay. Maybe we have a cold. <laughs> okay. Maybe we have some other health problem. Maybe we're having difficulties at work. Whatever the situation is, when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I've been praying for you, that's an encouragement. Okay. And add to that, Paul hadn't met him before. He'd never been there. And maybe you experienced this. We had, especially in the situation with Anna, right? there are times even recently, someone said, oh, you're Anna's parents. Oh, we've been praying for Anna for all these years or something to that effect. And that's such an encouragement that even people we don't know are praying for us in our needs. Sometimes you... Some of you will say how you're praying for us and our family, and and we greatly appreciate that. And so here is Paul saying these kinds of things, and it surely must have been an encouragement to them. Now notice he gives some more phrases in the middle here of this verse too, and actually more than verse 8. And he says here, whom I serve, first of all which takes us back to verse 1, right? He says that he is a slave of Christ, and so he's saying it again. All that Paul is doing is in service to God. Even praying for them is part of Paul's service. And then he says, with my spirit, which likely means from the depths of his soul, from the bottom of my heart, I am praying for you. Okay, now, That includes then the next praise here in the gospel of his son. So he is serving from the depths of his being in the gospel of his son, which includes teaching and preaching and proclaiming, but also includes praying. And so sometimes you'll hear uh, people say that the pastor's job is not only to preach, but also to pray. And this is a passage why we say these kinds of things. And so notice that Paul is not focusing on outward religion here. It's from his heart. He is serving Christ here in this way. Set apart as Christ's apostle, yes, to proclaim the gospel with words, but also to pray for the people. Now, of course, Paul hadn't actually proclaimed the gospel yet in Rome, but he's praying for them. Now he's writing this letter to them, and he hopes to visit them soon. All right, let me uh, pause here a little bit and just reflect on some of these thoughts here in regard to prayer. Obviously, Paul is giving us a standard, he is giving us an example for us to follow. And as God's people, we pray to God, and, and sometimes we do pretty well. Obviously, all of us can improve in our prayers. I know I can. And, you know, when we pray, we, we tend to pray for ourselves. But we also need to pray for others. And and not just the people that we know and love, but even people maybe we don't know. We also tend to pray for our needs. I need this, I need that. But we also should be thanking God. And I was encouraged here this morning as Stan was praying. There were several things that he was thanking God for. And that should very much be a part of our prayers. We also tend to pray for our physical needs but we should also then focus on the spiritual needs of those that we're praying for. Uh, We also um, tend to pray rather occasionally. Maybe for some of us, our prayer time is in the morning. For others, maybe in the evening. But Paul is praying continuously. And certainly this is a challenge for us to do more praying than we do. How many times... (laughs) Do we end our prayer session and we realize, you know, I just prayed for myself the whole time? Or or I I just was asking for all these things that would happen, that God would bless this day or something to that effect. And and we, we realize, you know, we hadn't actually praised God for anything. We hadn't actually thanked him for anything. And how many times do we go all day and we go to lie down and we're like, oh, I didn't even talk to God today. Paul here is encouraging us, challenging us with this uh, example to improve our prayer lives. Let's seek to pray more frequently. Let us seek to be more grateful in our prayers. Let us seek to pray for spiritual things, not just the physical things. Let us pray even for those that we do not know personally. So as I mentioned in the last section, we're not apostles. Okay. And most of us are not leaders in the church, but we still need to follow Paul's example here in prayer and let us improve on our prayers. The gospel enables us to pray because we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus prays on our behalf, perfecting our prayers. And we know from other passages that the spirit is the one who is enabling us to pray. And the Father, of course, is the one who answers our prayers according to His plan. And so, as we reflect here a little bit on praying this morning, um, what an example we are given here from Paul, and may may we improve on our prayers as we hear these things. All right. Well, let's look then in verse ten. <clears throat> Making making request, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Now, he's still talking about prayers, but notice how he's starting to shift his focus a little bit here. And let, let me start here with that, that part of the end of verse 9 in the New King James, always in my prayers. Some of you have that probably in verse 10, um, and that's because there's some debate on where to put it and what it modifies. But whether Paul is saying, I am regularly always praying for you in a general sense, or I'm regularly always praying for, for the, the, the ability to come to see you. Okay. In the end, it's, it's saying some of the same things, but there's some debate on which way to go with that. Um, but you know, there may have been some people in Rome who were wondering, how come Paul hasn't come here yet? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and it had been roughly 27 years since Pentecost. And if we're right, that's how the gospel got to Rome, as the people went to Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. So how come Paul hasn't shown up yet? And again, if we're right, no apostle has shown up yet. How come? What, what's going on here? Well, notice how Paul is kind of stumbling over himself here in this verse too. He says things over and over again. He just said, I am God's servant. And I'm going to go wherever he tells me to go. But notice now he uses the word if. And then he says somehow. And then he says now at last. And, and then he uses the language of finding a way or succeeding or something like that. Paul uses all these words to say, look, if it were up to me, I probably would have been there by now. But it's not up to me. God is the one who directs me. I'm praying about it, but it's it's the will of God ultimately that tells me where to go and when. Let's turn a, a moment uh, to Acts chapter 16. We have an example of this uh, on his second missionary journey, and you recall that Paul first revisits the churches he went to on the first missionary journey there in Galatia. And uh, this is where he picks up Timothy to join him, and so on. And, and in Acts sixteen, <clears throat> note especially verse six. It says, "Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the religion, uh, excuse me, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia." Now Paul was intent on getting to Ephesus, but God said, "Not this time." And so he goes northward, eventually goes to Philippi and Thessalonica and down to Corinth and so forth. But at this point, the Spirit said, no, you're not going to Ephesus. That's not part of my will. Then if you turn over to chapter 19, Paul is now in Ephesus. This is the third missionary journey, and God then opened the door for him to go there. And he's there for two and a half years or more. And if you look at verse 21 here now of Acts 19, it says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And so here Paul is in Ephesus, third missionary journey. He's going to come around to Corinth, and that's where he writes the book of Romans. And then he goes to Jerusalem and so forth, and we know the rest of the story. But do you see here... is basically saying the same thing. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. I really want to come to see you guys in Rome, but I'm going to go where God tells me to go. And So that's basically what he's saying here in verse 10. Again, he's kind of stumbling over himself to to say it in all these different ways. And so he desires to see them, but as we know, he does get to Rome, but is not quite, As he expected, I'm sure. As we know, he goes to Jerusalem, he's put in jail, and he's there for about two years. He's almost killed on more than one occasion. And then, as he is taken to Rome because he appealed to Caesar, he almost drowns in the sea. And then he gets to Rome and he's in chains. Do you see the point here? We ought to make plans, but we should make plans with open hands. And some people really like to make plans. My mom was one of these, right? She would write down every day. She had a list of things. She'd write, this is what I'm going to do today. And uh, before she got cancer, (laughs) uh, if she didn't get those things off the list, she'd get really upset. Cancer helped to mellow her out a bit. (laughs) Okay. But some of us are like that. We have our plans, and maybe it's in your mind. And, and if we don't follow those plans in some way or another, it, you know, we, we can get really upset. But you know, make your plans, but do it with open hands, because God's plan is better than ours. Now, we may not be traversing the world to bring the gospel to somebody else. Maybe it's the plan for what we're going to have for dinner tonight, or whatever it is. We should do it with open hands. Resting in the fact that God is in control of everything that happens in our lives. God's will is paramount, and so trust him. Do what he wants, because his way is best in the end. It may not be we be what we want. It may not be exactly as we're expecting. It may not be in our time, but God knows what is best. And so prayer is designed, in part, to remind us of this truth. Because in the end, God doesn't change. His plan doesn't change. In the end, I am praying to conform myself to God's will in my life. And that's what Paul is doing here. This is my desire, this is my plan, this is what I hope to do, but I'm going to do what God says. Paul likely did not think he would end up in Rome four years later in chains. Okay, sorry, two years later in chains. But this was God's plan for him. And so let's have the same kind of mindset here. Let's look then at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. All right, notice how he begins here, first of all, saying how much he wants to see them. Right? He keeps reiterating this point. But let me pause here before I continue and just reflect on this a little bit in this way. Do you see how much Paul cares for fellow believers? Once again, do you see his pattern for us, his example for us? It's an encouragement to us to care for fellow believers even people we don't know necessarily. We are a family. God is our father. Christ is our brother. We are united together by the Spirit as brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is part of uh, our identity, if we go back to verse 7, right? We are beloved by God, and we're made a family. So I try to communicate this by just using the, the plural pronouns, right, us especially, or we. Uh, in the the prayer chain that I send out, I, I very regularly at the beginning say, you know, whatever, good morning, brethren, or brothers and sisters, or something like that. And then, hey, let's pray for these things. Uh, in other churches, sometimes you'll hear people say, brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so. This is all part of what we're talking about. There is this connection that we have that is beyond blood, beyond familiarity even. And it is because we're united together in Christ. Now, sometimes, even as I uh, suggested at the very beginning, sometimes that connection is seen immediately. Um, And um, again, if maybe we visit somewhere or something like that and we meet people we hadn't met before and they're Christians and there's an instant connection I was thinking about this here in regard to last year at General Assembly. Uh, I, uh, of course, was staying with Luke Bloom, and, and we had several meals together, and and some of those were with people from his presbytery. I hadn't met these guys before, but there was an instant connection because we're brothers in the Lord, pastors in the Lord. Even some of them were elders, uh, ruling elders. Okay. Uh, we can have the same kind of thing if we... Uh, haven't seen someone for a long time, and we get together again after years possibly. But because we're believers, there's this connection. You know, we see at the end of the book, Paul is writing this letter in part because he has an agenda, so to speak. He is wanting a business arrangement, so to speak. He wants Rome to be his hub so that he can Start there and go westward to Spain and other places. But for Paul, it's not an impersonal situation at all. He cares for them deeply. And so once again, this um, challenges us to do the same kinds of things. All right, well, as always, we could say much. Let's look here now at this verse more specifically. Notice how it begins with the word for. So he's connecting with what he has said. And we see the word for the beginning of verse nine. And in fact, we're going to see several of them, especially in verses 15 to 18. And so he is building his thought here. Uh, And in this way, uh, he says that he is purposing and coming to them for mutual edification. In verse 11, he wants to give a spiritual gift. And in verse 12, it says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So in verse eleven, he is saying um, that Paul, or excuse me, God is going to use him as a gift to the Romans, but he's just not sure how that's going to be. Right, some spiritual gift. He doesn't know exactly how it'll be done, but he desires to see the churches in Rome be established, to grow in godliness, even to grow in numbers, and so. Maybe God will use Paul like he did in Ephesus. Remember, he set up a teaching school there at the school of Tyrannus. Maybe the same thing will happen in Rome. Uh, He's not sure. Um, Surely he's going to go to the synagogue first, the Jew first, right? And and maybe God will use Paul in this setting, because remember, the Jews were kicked out of Rome because they were fighting over Christ. And so maybe God will use Paul to help in that way. He doesn't know. So he says... Right? God's going to use me in some way, and uh, it'll be good to establish you. Now, we know, of course, what happens. We know that Paul does get to Rome, but it's under house arrest. If you look at Acts chapter 28, let me highlight just uh, a few verses here. In Acts 28 and verse 23, okay, <clears throat> the Jews come to Paul verse 23, when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So Paul could not go to the synagogue. He's in chains. He's under house arrest. And so they came to him and he was able to proclaim the gospel, and some believed, and but some didn't. So Paul's a spiritual gift to them, but probably not the way he thought about when he wrote the letter. Then if you look at the end of the chapter, at verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So he was forbidden to go out, but there was no prohibition of anybody coming and speaking to him. And so Paul is a spiritual blessing to the Romans in this way. Now, recall that while he was there, he wrote the books of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And so he was a blessing not only to the Romans, but even to these other places and to us while he's in prison. And so for four plus years, when you include Jerusalem, Caesarea, on the boat, and even here in Rome, Paul's in prison and could not go where he pleased. And yet God, in his mysterious will and plan, used Paul to be a spiritual gift, to be a blessing, to establish the people in Rome. Again, you see how this should challenge us to think differently. Our tendency is to think that we can be a blessing in XYZ way, but God may have a very different way for us to be a blessing and a spiritual gift to others. And so let us learn from this. Let us seek to be a blessing to others. Let's serve God and have him use us to, to be a blessing to others. But Again, let's submit to God's plan in it all. All right, now, as we come back here to verse uh, 12 in Romans 1, notice that Paul is not full of himself, right? That I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul's not the one who has all the answers. Paul wants to be encouraged by them too. It's like Paul now is stumbling over himself here to immediately say, no, wait a second here, it's not all about me. It's not like you guys just need my help because you guys are in a terrible place or something. It's not that idea at all. Paul's like, God has gifted me. He has set me apart an apostle. I can come and I can bless you, but I'm going to be blessed by you too. Now remember, he wrote these words before he was arrested. So it's not like God had to knock Paul down a couple pegs and put him in jail for a while. No. Paul had this humility even before his arrest. Paul is seeking to be a blessing in some way, but he's wanting them to be a blessing to him. Do you see this mutual edification idea? That's what it's to be a family, right? We bless one another here in our Christian family. Our tendency, of course, is to think that we're better than others and that we can be a blessing, but maybe we don't always remember that others can be a blessing to us. Let's be humble. Don't think that you've arrived And especially for those of us in positions of leadership. Let's learn from others. Let's listen to others. Let's seek counsel from other believers. Don't pretend that we have all the answers. Don't think you have it all together because none of us do. And so the goal here is to be a blessing one to another. If the great apostle Paul has this mindset, surely we should as well. And so let's not be prideful about our family connections, about our spiritual gifts, about our maturity in Christ. Let us find blessing and mutual edification from one another. We all have the same faith in the end, but each of us has unique gifts, unique experiences, unique perspectives because of God's providence in our lives. And God can use those things for us to mutually edify each other. <clears throat> now we can take this point and we can talk about this on an individual level, on a church level, hey, and so on. Um, but we also need to remember this in broader ways. Think, for example, about missionaries. For you know, a couple centuries or more, it was common for Western missionaries to go around the world and not only bring the gospel, but then try to impose Western culture on these other cultures. Now, there are certain aspects of Western culture that should be imposed elsewhere. But there are other things that don't need to be. And unfortunately, that distinction wasn't always made. And part of it was those missionaries said, right, we've got a spiritual gift, but you're not going to bless us. We're going to bless you. And they miss Paul's point here. And so whether we're missionaries, whether we're pastors, whether we're leaders in churches, whether we're parents, or just, if you will, regular Christians, let's have this humble mindset that Paul has here. Okay. And so um, <clears throat> a few thoughts here today from Paul. I kind of touched on several different things, but do you see his humility you see his love for fellow believers. Let's go and do likewise by the grace of our God in us. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the many things you, you teach us here. We thank you that we can come to you through Jesus Christ, through his work in our place and his interceding work, even now as I'm speaking. We are thankful, Lord, that you are taking this prayer of mine and my efforts to be righteous and you are perfecting them. And you are taking these words to the Father on my behalf and on our behalf. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this encouragement and this comfort, knowing that because you are in control of all things and your will is best, you will answer our prayers according to your good pleasure and your good purpose. So Lord, we do ask then that you would help us to submit ourselves to that and that you would help us to always rely on the fact that you are in control and that you uh, govern all things. And may this humble us as we seek to rest in you. Uh, May it spur us on to pray even further to conform ourselves uh, to your will in our lives. We pray also, Lord, and are thankful that you have made us a family of believers. Here in this congregation, and with Christians uh, elsewhere, too. We are thankful, Lord, that you are our Father, that Christ, you are our brother, and that Spirit, the you, O Holy Spirit, have united us and, and joined us together. Lord, may we be humbled by this, encouraged by this, and seek mutual edification, and not just think that we have it right and they have it wrong or something like that. May we learn from one another. May we encourage one another. We pray for a, a greater um, edification here in this church that you would help us to mutually benefit one another. We thank you for how it is done already. And we pray that we would improve in this way as we even improve in our prayers. We, we pray that by your spirit you would be merciful in this and that you would make us more like yourself. And uh, we pray all these things then in the name of our, our Lord and our only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.